0: Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck
1: into
2: pop culture With Stick Around
3: Hello there and welcome to Stick Around
0: The podcast you're expecting in 2020 But you're getting now, Prols. Brought to you by Livin' That Let Felch by Roy Battersby.
1: The long-awaited 24th book in the Felcher saga. War. It's civil war on the streets of West Bromwich. Brexit Britain has divided the town. And only Felcher knows how to save it. Wow. I mean, we've been waiting a good few weeks for that 24th book in the series.
3: Right, he's prolific, if nothing else. Yeah,
1: he's back with a bang. Um, I mean, Roy, how long's Roy this ha- one? Uh, it's a good 972 pages. Again, wow. not one word of it, filler. Again,
2: <laughs> You just can't write like, filler. Mean, he's just
1: Roy's got an unusual all killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he writes exclusively on the toilet as well. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally so he spends in the bath. If he really needs to break down,
4: you know, a tough chapter, he writes it in the bath. But um... <laughs> I think he's probably getting into the mind of his readers because you know that's where they're going to be reading it from. Oh, exactly.
1: Quite yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe you, you're here with us for books episode. I want to say about eight, maybe, maybe I not think even it is that. Eight. Yeah, correct. Uh, it is wow, eight. is it? I, I've you managed to, to get the last episode
2: wrong, though. Films.
1: Ah, oh, right. Okay. Well. So well, done. well Yeah, done.
2: but how I, confidently did we say it, though? So, not very <laughs> yeah, confidently. Oh, well, <laughs> right. He said twenty or twenty-one, and it was twenty-two. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm here with books experts. Clive Fisher. Hey, hey.
1: Josh Keefley. Hello. Uh, Dave Peeling. Hello there. And for his first books podcast, James Cable.
4: Hello there. Woo! Yeah, you Woo! could say that this is, I'm just losing my virginity of books, podcasts.
1: Yeah, I Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't aware that you read, but um, it appears that, you know, you're quite the literati from what I've heard.
4: Well, <laughs> it, it was actually Josh that got me back into reading this year, because I haven't really read... Novels in quite a while, and then, well, we'll talk about it more later, but yeah, I've got mm. back into it recently, so, um, yeah,
1: cool. Okay, so we're gonna go to the man who likes to have his tea early.
3: Oh, He's no, a... that's not why I have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> All these Don't... assumptions that you're making,
1: <laughs> you didn't say that's why you were leaving. Well, wild accusations! <laughs> I've made an yeah, well, ass out of me, I'm
3: being mysterious.
1: <laughs> um. I've made an ass out of me and an ass out of him. Just keep you watch your first book.
3: <laughs> well, I decided to go for a, a classic book that I haven't read recently, but um, is is one of my all time favourite books. I would say.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I taking. also have I also have um, a controversial opinion to go of this book, but I'm oh. really I'm going to leave that out. <laughs> is this going to be another
1: Terminator Three? <laughs> uh,
3: along the same lines. <laughs>
2: wow. Okay.
3: More along the lines of my Daniel Day-Lewis opinion, actually. Ah, oh, equally bad. <laughs> I don't know if I know that one. That he's not very good at acting. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, okay. That Sometimes con- I think you just say these things for effect. That is controversial. No. He's like no. The, he's a walking clickbait. He is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, know, you know what, he's... To put it more specifically, he's a walking version of the Independence website. He looks very
4: intelligent, but he's (laughs)
3: Carry on. That is is where most of my material is from, as Cable will be able to confirm. It's true.
4: (laughs) I'm always retweeted in independent articles.
3: (laughs) So anyway, uh, my book is The Godfather by Mario Puzo. Um, I mean, obviously... I think that the film is more well-known than the book, but the book did come first. I mean, it's just really fantastically good. I went through a, a phase of reading Mafia-related books, a very brief phase. Um, but <laughs> was it just this book? No, uh, yes. <laughs> no, a few others as well, uh, but this is definitely the best one. There was another one by Puzo that I got when I was working at the... Um, Oxfam Bookshop. When I was working there, I got one. I haven't read it. I don't think I have it anymore either. But yeah, I mean, it's just a classic story, a classic best bestseller according to the front cover. Obviously, I think the story is well known because of the film.
2: For um for numpties like me, Josh, who have watched the film but fell asleep halfway through it. Oh, what? What is the general plot?
3: <laughs> well, uh, I wasn't expecting any questions. <laughs> 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 um, it just basically is about the godfather and his how he runs his family and the family, the way that he's respected in the um, community, the Italian community that he lives in in America and then it starts to focus more on his sons and just, is that a fair summary would you say Alex Wayne?
1: Um, yeah I mean it's I've, it's been a while since I've read the book but I have read it um, I mean it's largely the same as the, the first film Kind of yeah, that stork. was
3: that was my point the, before Clive yeah. threw me <laughs> off.
1: <laughs> well, kind of a story of um, a respected <laughs> crime figure who's almost part of the community, but also obviously a, cr- a criminal, and then the slow corruption of his son. That's how I describe yeah. it, anyway.
3: Yeah, I I would go along with Alex's Wayne what Alex Sounds Wayne's uh, summary. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's just like a really great book. I would say, I. Much prefer it to the film. Oh, that's good. Um, like, so I, I, I read the book the and then by coincidence the film was on telly and I sat down to watch it and got about halfway through and just was like, nah, no, this is boring.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's probably around about when I fell asleep, so great minds.
3: And like the book, I mean, obviously it's different reading a book to watching a film, but I never wanted to re-watch the film or like, you know... Watch the bit of it that I didn't see um whereas the book I found it really hard to put down and it's it's fairly long, but I can remember getting through it quite quickly it's um nearly six hundred pages long I mean I read it when I wasn't especially very old um but I thought it was really good I read it when we was still at school um but yeah I would strongly recommend it I think if you're a fan of the film then Definitely read it. If you if you're not a fan of the film, then read it anyway. Um, <laughs> so just bloody read it. Yeah, just read it.
4: Can roll. you uh, recite any of the famous lines from the probably in the book, which are also in the film, like in, in the accent?
3: Hmm. Well, I don't know. I I feel reluctant <laughs> to depend seeing as my uh, opinion. That I haven't shared with you is about Marlon Brando. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <laughs> oh wow! <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was me Go thinking on, the controversy was in the fact that you preferred Oh no,
3: block. no, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's not a just controversy. No, that's that. not controversial at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, what's your beef with Marlon Brando?
3: I don't think he's a very good actor either. <laughs> like in Apocalypse Now, which is probably one of the most overrated films ever made. There
2: we go. He, he fair, completely
3: ruins the film. Because, I mean, like fair enough, he completely improvised every single one of his lines, but you can't even tell what he's saying. Like, I could stumble along and start mumbling stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I demand an Oscar. <laughs>
1: Uh the views of Joshua Keithley do not necessarily <laughs> represent the views of Stick Around Podcast. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> Disagree. Um <laughs> I, I, would, I expect nothing else. <laughs> um it was a long time ago, but I have read the book. I remember thinking, in fairness, I'd agree with you that it was hard to put down, although I did feel it was quite simply written. It felt like a good kind of popcorn bit of literature. <laughs> I didn't feel very challenged yeah. by it but maybe <laughs> no. that was big, that, that might be because I've seen the film already uh,
3: mm. perhaps I've well, already had... I have actually started reading this This is momentous news I have actually started reading War and Peace so Cliche. maybe a podcast in a few years time <laughs> I'll be <laughs> <you> able to <laughs> review that did
4: you find the ex- an excellent cover?
3: Uh, yeah. I had it bought for me but it does have an excellent oh, right. cover
4: Josh and, I, Josh and I uh, were really into the War and Peace TV show which I talked about and we decided we both wanted excellent versions of the book to read and I've yet to find an excellent version of an excellent cover yeah. um, you want a good aesthetic it has to be yeah it has to be the good it has to, it's all, for, all about the cover really
3: what I don't I always though, judge a book, judge a book by its cover what I don't understand is that obviously <laughs> it's been translated from the Russian but um, massive chunks of it are in French <laughs> right, right okay um, <laughs> yeah. uh, half a job—is that what you mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> um, maybe not even that. But like, maybe too much of a to... for a job. Like they've translated it from Russian into English and then into French. <laughs> <laughs> right. All
1: right. That's interesting. Has anybody else read? <laughs> yeah. has, has anybody else read the Godfather book?
2: No. No, I didn't know it was a book. <clears throat> I. Yeah, like I said, i watched half the film. I believe it was at uni with you guys and fell asleep. Yeah, I mean... It's... I've
4: watched the whole film, but I did, I did find it a bit of a chore. I enjoyed it, but it was... yeah, It was one of those gangsters where you I didn't did know who was who.
2: Yeah, and I could see where you could bored. The film. And then I got
4: bored. Right. And I think I started watching the second one and just gave up.
1: You people are heathens. Wow. <laughs> 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 the
3: book is excellent, though. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. fuck the film. And I, you know, I'm reviewing the book. I, my uh, I have no opinion of the film. Other than Marley <laughs> Brando's yeah. shit. But mainly <laughs> Other the than the now. opinions I've already expressed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, okay, uh moving moving on, uh we're going we've gone from where are you calling from, Josh?
3: <laughs> uh I'll say Scunthorpe. We'll say <laughs> though, so we, we've yeah, remaining mysterious. <laughs> we've,
1: we've we've got we've gone from scunny. Now we're going to the big smoke. Dave Peeling. What do you got for us?
0: Thank you very much. I often um call London the Scunthorpe of the South myself. It's <laughs> um, true. It's uh
1: full of something.
0: So Industrial markets. They're both shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Al. So um I've been reading an awful lot since um since the last time we did a podcast to the detriment of all the media that we discuss in our other podcasts. So I've been um, particularly looking forward to doing this one. I've managed to trim down the ones that I've read since we last spoke to four that I'm going to talk about today. Cunningly, the four are um, kind of linked together. So the first two that I'm going to talk about are um, books that I was inspired to read after a trip that I took to Vienna uh, back in February. Um, it was my first, first time I'd ever been to Austria, um, and I absolutely love Vienna. We um, we walked around the um, the beautiful old imperial palaces and churches and the the town itself and drank lots of coffee. Uh, walking around the ranch. this isn't a travel podcast. Oh,
3: well, just <laughs> <laughs> wow. you just ruined the story. Uh, can him you off. remove cable? This is why yeah, we don't have wait. him
0: on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's all this, high totally floating, all this highfalutin chat we are having the books WhatsApp that you're not allowed in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm lowering the tone again. <laughs> so, um, I w- yes. Anyway, so I was, dis- <laughs> I was discovering Vienna, which I, I wasn't. I'd never really, uh, I'd never really knew too much about, uh, and I was surprised by its kind of um, more Western European kind of uh, feel uh, and its kind of uh, the romanticism there. Uh, and discovered kind of on om-
2: what was that <laughs> who's got who's had a child <laughs> <laughs> hello I have no idea what that was what, what, what someone's happened? phone I heard some girls voice so I yeah there's like <laughs> a yeah, girl a, laughing an, or American,
3: something. an American child yeah maybe
4: yeah This. Po- everyone knows this podcast is no girls <laughs> <laughs> <Loud>. <laughs>
2: Who's what? sneaking up? Someone's, someone's hacking our calls, aren't I'm, they? I'm
0: determined us. to finish this review, even if you're all <laughs> distracted by other things. Please feel free to switch off. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I learnt that um, large parts of the... The, kind of the reason why Vienna has this kind of feel that it does today uh, as being a kind of uh, a former centre of culture and art um, was thanks to the, um, the Habsburg Empire... And um, the the Habsburgs were the uh, the ruling house of Austria for about eight hundred years, I believe, right up until um, nineteen eighteen, at the end of the First World War, uh, when they they were forced to leave Austria. Now, um, this period of uh, of history struck me as being one that I knew absolutely nothing about, thanks to um, an excellent th- thanks to my excellent schooling in history. And um, I decided when I got home that I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. Now, the period that I was particularly interested in was the kind of downfall of this monarchy. Um, and the Austrians had been living essentially uh, in a world that was uh, where, where the ruling family, like I said, was unchanged for 800 years. And it had a feeling, a sensation to generations and generations of, of Austro-Hungarians that um, nothing would ever change. And then, of course, the First World War came around and put uh, put pay to all that. So I uh, I went home and kind of looked at books to um, kind of find out a little bit more about this period in history. And I found um, two in particular that I'm going to talk about today. Um, the first one is um, The Red Prince by Timothy Snyder. And it tells the story of Wilhelm von Habsburg, who was... Quite low relatively low down on the line to the throat to the Habsburg throne in the late uh, in the kind of eighteen eighties. And as, as, as the description on the back of the book says, he wore the uniform of an Austrian officer, uh, the court regalia of an archduke, the simple suit of a Parisian exile, the decorations of the Order of the Golden Fleece, and every so often, dresses. Um, this this gen, this this uh, Wilhelm von Habsburg lived an extraordinary life at, in extraordinary times. He was um, born into high high imperial royalty received gifts for, on his early birthdays from Queen Victoria who was related to him decided that as the empire was being split up at the end of this disastrous first world war um uh, particularly from the point of view of um austro- uh, hungary. That um, he would tie himself to Ukrainian nationalism, and um, he a, a nation which up until that point had never existed. So this is it, the, it. It's a fascinating idea. The one that I was never really, never really appreciated the fact that nation states and countries didn't really exist at all in mm. any form before the 1920s, and. Um, there were these large scale empires that covered various different uh races of people nations of people who um had their own kind of identity that they kind of self defined and uh ukraine was one of them obviously nowadays we know it is an extreme uh, you know relatively large country um, there was nothing like that at the time and this Wilhelm von Habsburg in an effort to try and find himself a role after the downfall of the Austro-Hungarian Empire decided he to tie himself to Ukrainian nationalism in order to find himself a crown in order so that he could be named king by the uh, Ukrainian people seeing as he did and lots of people did at that particular time in Europe that royalty was the only way to run a country. At that uh, what he Failed to appreciate though was um, the rise of, the, uh, of um, the forces after the Second World War, after a brief flirtation he had with uh, anti Semitism and fascism, because it was very much in vogue in Germanic speaking countries at the time. He um, found himself again uh, trying to lead uh, a, a kind of a Ukrainian uh, nationalist um, uh, state. And found it overrun by the Soviet Union, so he spent um, he spent a brief period uh, as a fascist. He spent periods as a, a monarchist, um, and found himself in in a Stalin a Stalinist concentration camp after the end of the Second World War. When he was asked what his nationality was, and he replied, "I'm a Habsburg." He had because he'd never been born in a country. He'd never been born in a nation because we, they didn't exist at the time, and he didn't he didn't understand the question, and he found himself um, trying to free Ukraine from the Germans uh, at the end of the first uh, uh, kind of the end of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, trying to free it from the Soviets uh, in the in the Second World War, um, and be- died before ever seeing Ukraine come along as a country. And the exploits of this person as he, as he moves all across um, Europe and the world and the people that he mixes with, um, with this sense that he has of being um, an imperial royal and born to blue blood at a time in the 1920s and 30s when Europe just didn't accept that as an idea anymore, is, is absolutely a fascinating idea. Uh, and um, Timothy Snyder here tells an absolutely uh, riveting tale and ties together a whole bunch of interesting periods in European history by uh, telling the story of this one particular, relatively unheard of person, um, even in his native uh, Austria, as he went missing in um, in a kind of purge, a Stalinist purge, never to be heard from again. And Timothy Snyder had to do an awful lot of first-hand research across um, various countries of East Europe, which plain didn't exist at the time, that um, that Wilhelm von Habsburg found himself in. That brings me kind of neatly onto the other book that I was uh, reading on the back of this. It's the um, the memoirs of author Stefan Zweig. Um, mm. I had to Google how to pronounce Zweig, being unfamiliar with the German. Uh, and I did it on YouTube, watched a little YouTube video that repeated the word Zweig to me several times and ended with, (laughs) this pronunciation was brought to you by com," which made me feel very much like (laughs) I hadn't maybe got the right pronunciation. So,
2: um, Is it right, Clive? It sounds right to me, yeah. (laughs) Z-W-E-I-G. Yeah, I would say Zweig, but yeah. that might be more Swiss-German. Oh, probably. was that
0: not what I said? Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's The World of Yesterday, Memoirs of a European by Stefan Zweig. And this one, this one is um, perhaps even more interesting than The Red Prince. Um, Stefan Zweig was an incredibly, phenomenally su- successful author, um, sold millions and millions of copies of his novels in the interwar period. He was born in Vienna in the uh, 1870s, I believe. Um, Sorry, 1881, he was born. Again, at the end of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, when it seemed like nothing was ever going to change and no emperor would ever go anywhere. um, Lived through the horrors of the First World War. and uh, Stayed in Austria in the interwar period when Austria found itself... Um, kind of divided up into lots of different states and found itself separated from all its industry and farmland that it knew from its former, from its former days and was plunged into poverty and hyperinflation be- uh, years before it happened to Germany. Kind of recovered from that state, from that state to write incredibly successful novels, as I say, uh, until the, uh, until the Nazis arrived. Um, one of the main reasons why you may not have heard of Stefan Zweig is that he was Jewish. And so his books were burnt in great numbers uh, in the in the kind of mid-1930s. This, uh, his memoirs were submitted in 1942 from Brazil when he fled Austria to Britain in 1939. He heard the declaration of the start, uh, start of the Second World War. In Britain, and then thereafter f- fled to Brazil. He wrote this book, his his memoirs, starting from um, as early as he could remember, right up in ni- right up until 1939, which he saw he kind of saw as the um, the death of the European ideal. Um, he wrote this. He wrote his memoirs in 1941 and 1942, uh, handed them in to his publisher, and the next day committed suicide. The book itself does not read like a suicide note. In fact, it's, an, it's almost in some ways incredibly hopeful. Um, this man lived through um, the formation, the, the, uh, the height of uh, a great empire, its downfall in the First World War. The establishment of a, of a state that didn't want to exist, that wanted to be part of uh, Austro-Hungary and then failing that part of Germany was forced to exist by the League of Nations Suffered hyperinflation, the the, uh, the onset of the Nazis and the start of the Second World War. It's incredible to think that there are people that there were people who um, saw Napoleonic conflict and saw Napoleonic wars um, pass through the town that they were living in, and also be around and making some of their great work at the start of the Second World War via the First World War, which to, to me seemed like several different and very separate. Conflicts, thanks to kind of the predominant way in which they're taught, but entirely covered, entirely spanned by this one's, by this one man's um, unnaturally shortened as well life. Um, Stefan Zweig, because he was a a great author, he often found himself uh, rubbing shoulders with incredibly uh, influential people of the time as well. And this book is full of name dropping. Um, One of his great friends was Freud uh, who he knew from his days in Vienna. Uh, he, Stefan Zweig wrote librettos for some of Strauss's operas. There's one part in here where he mentions the fact that he bumps into Dali on the street one day. Um, and the book has a, an enormous number of anecdotes about this. But one thing that is particularly interesting and particularly timely and relevant, or so I think, is that this book is a celebration of ever... Uh, progressive closeness and uh, harmony between peoples. The it, He grew up in the 1880s and the 1890s where people presumed that every scientific uh, endeavour and every scientific um, discovery was natural progress towards a future where there would be no need for religion or division or ideals that were anything other that 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 couldn't then be explained in the kind of the world that, it, that you know in in fact in the world in which they lived um lived in a time where countries didn't really exist where borders didn't really exist there was no such thing as a passport you could walk across borders and no one would ever stop you you didn't have to identify yourself you could settle down in a new nation and speak as friends to one another um and this gentleman saw on two separate occasions what happened when nationalist ideals in inverted commas come to um drive people apart for um for their nefarious aims and he did he never got to he never survived to see the um the kind of the peace that formed in the nineteen fifties nineteen sixty um and so on particularly in in Western Europe anyway. Um but I have no doubt that he wouldn't at all be surprised, albeit that he would be incredibly disappointed to learn that Europe has managed to slip into you know started on that that kind of rocky slope again um he describes it perfectly um depressingly um it, it it's, it's it's a heartbreaking book in a lot of ways um whilst it 's a fascinating Time and he has an incredible life that you you is is fantastically interesting to read. and He has an excellent style, um, the translator has a, a, at the very least done an excellent job. Um, it's uh, a so prescient uh, a book. Um, it's one that so many more people should read, or or lots, not just this one, but many from that kind of time period, and just see the trials and tribulations that people went through over this type of idea, uh, this type of idea in the past. Um, in an effort, you know, people, more people should read this type of stuff in an effort to break this kind of inevitable cycle of depressing uh, nationalism and an interracial conflict. So, for that reason, I recommend both these books to you guys today. Wow. Yeah.
4: Good night, Vienna. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I really, I,
1: I was not expecting that at all. Um, it, I find it funny how, um, I don't know if this works with you, Dave, but I tend to find that I find a topic I'm very interested in, almost for the year, and then I go with it and I read a lot on it. Mm. W- would you say that's kind of what's
0: happened with you here, is this? Yeah, definitely. So I had a little pile of books um, mm. before, I, that I had already before I went to Vienna, and then I came back from, and I... Swore to myself I wouldn't buy any more until I got through this pile and then came yeah. back from Vienna and found that I needed to read much more about it. And um, and I've managed to just, I've managed so far to hold myself to these two, but I've added a whole bunch more to my, um, to my Goodreads lists and Amazon basket for, you know, where my pile goes down in future. Because it's definitely a fascinating time and period and country and, yeah, just just something I that part of Central Europe, I well great parts of Europe, I don't know. I realise now that I didn't, I knew nothing about whatsoever, and um, this particularly interesting period. This I
3: I, I read a book um, during the last uh, during the period between podcasts, and um, it's called The Tobacconist by Robert Robert C. Farler, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean it's a fiction it's a fiction book. Uh, but it's about um, an Austrian boy who goes to work in Vienna as an apprentice at a tobacconist's. And one of the regular customers to the tobacconist is Sigmund Freud. And it sort of is about the apprentice's kind of friendship, not really a friendship, but the relationship that he forms with Sigmund Freud, and then it's against the backdrop of the Nazis starting to become more prevalent in, in in Austria and obviously Sigmund Freud was a Jew and um, it kind of follows the boy being a little bit confused about what's going on and his reaction to what's going on and the guy who wrote it, Robert Seafowler, is Austrian from Vienna um, he's written two books which have been translated into English I think, I think one of them won the Booker Prize um, I don't think it was the Tobacconist, I think it was the other one, but I mean, obviously that's not exactly the same as the books that you've been reading because it's a fiction book, obviously, but I suppose it puts a different slant on the same period of time that you're talking about.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's just immediately gone onto my Goodreads list just then as we're talking about it. That sounds <laughs> that, that does yeah, sound fascinating. It, that's, it exactly, is really good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I'm very, I'd be very interested to read that.
1: Right,
2: fantastic. Um, oh, I hate Austrians because... <clears throat> the next to the Swiss, and they're not as good.
3: <laughs> yeah, but that isn't true, though, Clive, is it? Because one of your heroes is Austrian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it is actually bollocks. So.
3: <laughs>
2: Roger Federer's
4: is Austrian. Schwarzenegger. I thought you hate the Swedes because, like, you always get asked if you're sweet.
2: People oh, think yeah, you're hate, Swedish. Hate Clive just Swedes.
3: hates everyone because he's nothing to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true.
2: Absolutely true. Yeah. No, I, I've been to Graz and I loved it but I've not read loads about Austria. But it does sound really... There's so many interesting histories across yeah. Europe which you, we know very little about. Mm. Yeah, I don't really know anything about this subject, but it's definitely seemed interesting from what you've been saying. Um, and I think there is something good about, like, visiting a place and then learning about the history of it It makes yeah. it more... When you then read about it, it makes it... More interesting because you've been there <laughs> and you've seen some of the things they're talking about, and yeah, yeah, you play more names in
0: context, even though there aren't many in those kind of things, it just makes it does kind of tie you in a little bit, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, cool. Right,
0: fantastic. Uh, we'll move to Sheffield
1: and we'll go for the newbie, James Cable. What have you got for
2: <laughs> um, newbie. right, well. <laughs> it's going to be a noob review for yourself <laughs> Don't know about that this noob book reviewer is well, well good This book was well good mate
4: You should definitely have a look um, Yeah like, like I said, said at the start um, I haven't really been reading books recently And well until recently And I guess the reason was just I don't know I was just doing other things Like watching TV shows in bed And just you know stuff like that and, But I've, I've recently since Christmas I've rediscovered reading novels in bed And just getting into a good book and that's thanks to Josh, because he, he bought me this book for Christmas, um, and it's The Graduate by Charles Webb. Um, and Josh, wh- why did you buy me this? I just wanted to ask. Is it because, because we both love the film?
3: Because we love the film.
4: Yeah. Is that the only reason?
3: That's the only reason.
4: Cool. Yeah. Loves well, it. I'm glad you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's one of, our, it's one of my favourite films, and I've watched it quite a lot with Josh. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's Charles, it was Charles Webb's first foray into writing, and he published it when he was 24. Um, It's about the 21-year-old Benjamin Braddock who's recently graduated in the summer of 1963 in America uh, and moved home. Everyone wants to know what he's going to do with his life and he's a bit bitter about the emptiness and the pointlessness of his uh, middle-class education. Um, He's seduced by the wife of his dad's business partner, an older woman, Mrs. Robinson, um, before meeting her daughter and deciding he's found his meaning in life. Um, It's full of the things which I loved about the film. Um, the plot is very simple. There's, there's not really much going on other than the main storyline. Um, it doesn't really need to be. Um, it matches the breezy pace of the movie. The plot bumbles along, much, much like the life of Ben Braddock. Um, the way it's written is also very simple. It's sparse, it's deadpan, and it's plain. There's, there's, no, there's no luscious descriptions or thesaurus-grabbing words or lengthy internal monologues. Um, objectively, you could say it's badly written. Um, He writes entire scenes using just dialogue, um, but it works really well. It sort of gives you a sense of being there, you know, the timing of what they're saying and the space between the characters. Um, All that matters matters is what they're talking about, and you sort of feel what they're feeling through what they're saying and what they don't say. Um, So it's different in that sense. Um, I think that simplicity and seeming pointlessness is one of the sort of main criticisms of the book, but I think it's one of the main reasons why I like it a lot. Um, It's quite different, and it just puts you there with the characters. It's normal, and despite the crazy things that happen to him, um, you could quite easily be a spectator in his life. Um, I do sort of wonder how easy it might be to conjure the settings in the book without having seen the film. Um, The characters are often self-centred, manipulative, and they're regularly infuriating, but I think that's much like real people. Um, You could say that the characters and their motives lack a bit of depth, but then also don't some people... um, I don't want to ruin the ending, but I just want to say that it sort of matches how I've described the rest of the book. And reading it for me, it was it was sort of just like a celebration of the film, which I love. Um, so it's hard to say which I love more, because obviously the film is based on the book, and it's from that's the source material. Um, but I'd say the film probably manages to give it more atmosphere and more charisma, just because of sort of the visual aspect. Um, but yeah, so thanks for getting me, Josh, and I really enjoyed it. Bam. Mm. Sh- is it time for a controversial
1: opinion? I didn't really like the film very much, and I love David Fincher. And
3: oh, <laughs> I don't even know. If I've this seen is the this film. is a poor, s- controversial opinion. Yeah, <laughs> 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 you, you need to work on them. <laughs> um, was it not angry. enough not angry no, enough. It's just very controversial. controversial.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's pretty well rated, and I just yeah, it is. I, it is. I was pr- you should I, say I, it's a bag of shite or something. I
3: mean, yeah, yeah be more... be Mark. Everyone in it acts like a like like
2: a tree.
1: Dustin
3: Hoffman's a tosser.
2: <laughs> did you not watch this with me and Josh Clive if I did it must be quite forgetful bam oh, no I did I did I, that's I did like, like it, I it. <laughs> it's got a great soundtrack absolute tripe <laughs> Paul Simon idiot <laughs> makes me want to drill my own ears out as a drill
4: <laughs> yeah it's not it's not a book where I'd say like oh yeah it's loads better than the film um, but it was definitely still really good and like I said it was a bit of a celebration of the film which I liked just reading it it's kind of like watching it but in a different way I don't know cool sounds, sounds interesting
1: mm. right okay we shall stick in Sheffield I hope he's finished his notes Clive <laughs> big time
4: yeah Is
2: there any in pink pen so well that's how we mark at school <laughs> pink and green
3: <laughs>
2: what's read? wrong with red because it's you know it might damage their psyche I don't know
3: you can't do um, crosses. Uh, it has to be a no, you
2: don't do crosses. You do Flex green. You do green dots. It's political correctness gone mad. <laughs> That's why I vote um, but <laughs> believe. <laughs> to
4: get rid they of use, They use red pens on the cup.
2: Yeah, take your green pens back home to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> I think they probably use red pen in Switzerland. They probably don't piss about. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, right, so I'm going to talk about, appropriately, written in the pink pen from school, I'm going to talk about a book that I've been uh, reading to my kids, uh, which is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which I've actually read now three times, because I've once read it myself, read it to my kids, and read it to Beck. So Ooh. I'm now an expert. And I think that... I've read this quite a few times. <laughs> and that's just the first part. I haven't read Looking Glass yet. I'm moving on to that now. Um, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was written by Lewis Carroll, whose uh, actual name is Charles Dodgson, for for people who like some uh, trivia. Um, it's about a girl called Alice, as you might have guessed, who is uh, bored on a riverbank when she sees a rabbit checking the time and follows him down a rabbit hole. <clears throat> down there she meets just, you know, a whole host of weird and wonderful and crazy characters. Um, and essentially the book's just about her sort of uh, interactions with all these crazy characters who basically make no sense, but in the most hilarious way possible. It's absolutely brilliant I love this book it's become one of my favourite books just probably partly because I've read it so many times but also partly just because I love the it's just infused with this endless sense of fun throughout and it's <clears throat> so so good and there's so many just ridiculous things in it and I love how I think I like it because it is just pure escapism because it's just so mad <laughs> it's a little bit like Captain Blue Bear which I loved because it was mad, and this is equally mad, if not more so. Um, some of my highlights were, for example, a, a croquet game where um, the croquet bats are flamingos, the balls are hedgehogs, <laughs> and the hoops, whatever they're called. I've not played much croquet. Um, they are cards, living cards that are doing crab, sort of that <laughs> yoga move <laughs> where you bend over backwards, but they move around, so it's quite a hard game of croquet because flamingos don't stay as still as bats and um yeah hedgehogs don't roll very well so yeah it's just full of crazy crazy things like that all the characters are great um the cheshire cat brilliant there's a great bit where um the <laughs> queen of hearts towards the end of the book she's just uh her catchphrase is basically off with his head anyone who says something remotely disagreeable yeah. she shouts off with his head uh, <laughs> And she then shouts off with his head to the Cheshire Cat, at which point it gets pointed out that the only thing that they can see at that point is the Cheshire Cat's head. How can they chop off the head of something where there's a, it's only got a head? You know, endless debates like this, which are really important in the world. And, yeah. I just, yeah, it's fantastically escapist, and I absolutely loved it. It's gone up there with, you know, Huckleberry Finn. is one of my favourite books um, for a similar reason. Huckleberry Finn is just fun. But there are um, apparently... Apparently it has like underlying meaning and stuff. I haven't read much into that, but um, I don't really care whether it does or not because it's just mad. And Whereas Captain Blue Bear was a bit more... There was definitely some political messages in Captain Blue Bear hidden under there that were a bit more obvious um, than they are here, for me anyway. But that didn't make this any less enjoyable. Um, it's just... I love how also if I put here... Um, I like how it doesn't follow the standard sort of build-up, problem-resolution style of a story. It's just... It's essentially a travel book about Alice going down and just bumping into loads of different people along her way and there isn't really a... There's a kind of climax and stuff, but there isn't really a big uh, sort of narrative arc or anything as such. It's just a selection of almost short stories bunged together. But they're all brilliant and I'm so excited to read uh, the second part, Alice in... or Through the Looking Glass. You get the Jabberwocky. Yes, then I get the Jabberwocky. Mm. And, oh, that's the other thing, yeah, the thing I haven't mentioned. The illustrations are brilliant uh, and really help, like, break up the book for people like me, you know, I like pictures. And <laughs> there's also, like, he constantly puts poems in there that the characters are saying and they're all just nonsensical and brilliant. And I love how that kind of breaks up the reading parts. It uh, just makes it really fun to read and also to read to other people. It's a great book to read to other people. And, uh, yeah, I thought when I got... Yeah, like it wasn't me who picked this book, I got told what to do, <laughs> and uh, I thought, Oh no, the book from 1865, the kids are going to hate it, but they absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah, really, really good, stood yeah, the it's, test of time, it's timeless, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah.
1: I haven't read that in a long time. The last time I even thought about it, um, somebody brought up Alison Sunderland, <laughs> <laughs> which is, um, <laughs> a very different exactly, story, I'm not imagine. exactly sure what it is, but um, it stuck with me. Probably equally as escapist.
4: Yeah. That's Unless you live in Sunderland.
1: Except, except I think the word you're looking for when with Alice in Sunderland is escaping. Alice trying to <laughs> escape Sunderland. Uh, with its three-eyed mutant people. Uh, okay, right. Well, um, okay, I guess we're around to me uh, for my first book. I'm going to start with Zone 1, which is a 2011 book by Colson Whitehead uh, Colson Whitehead, you might have seen recently, is um, famous for a book called The Underground Railroad which came out last year and was widely considered the the best book of the year and it was um, Obama's favourite, The Great Literary Critic, of course
2: <laughs> um, I'd have voted for him if he uh, came back in <laughs> You know, Yeah, you I suppose. bet you would
1: <laughs> People who've listened to other podcasts will get Clive's joke there Yeah uh, <laughs> Basic plot summary is, the um, main character, who's nicknamed Mark Spitz after the very famous American Swimmer, is a zombie sweeper what? set in a zombie apocalypse world. <laughs> uh, he is cleaning up and the aftermath of a zombie apocalypse. The book is differs from most zombie apocalypse um, narratives in the sense that it deals with the aftermath and Mark Spitz's uh, observations on the society that got it there. Um, it takes place over three a three day sweep and it, really for a book that's about a dystopian future uh it takes place as what you might call a glacial um a glacial speed uh, despite this it's a fascinating read um part horror part post apocalyptic fiction part satire um mark Spitzer's observations are really about the world we live in today but told in the context of you know, an exciting horror novel. I found myself laughing, kind of, you know, sort of having wry smiles at nearly every paragraph. If I was to have a criticism of it, I would say that the narrative is somewhat disjointed, deliberately. To kind of throw the the, uh, the reader off. You're not often told when, when um, he's describing a flashback and when he's describing a present tense. I love the book, though, um, for the most part. Um and it's certainly the shades of Stephen King, but with better writing, in my opinion. We all know my opinion on Stephen King. Before going <laughs> any controversial, no, it's not that controversial. I think he's a really good ideas man, and I've enjoyed some of his books. But I think he's a bang average actual writer of prose. I think he's got a fantastic mind for you know, a, you know, a narrative, and his ideas are second to none. But I think he's better adapted as into film than he is. On the page, uh, does anybody else feel that way, or is anybody else a big Stephen King fan?
2: I've not read any of his books, so I couldn't comment.
1: Okay, has anybody heard of this <laughs> book, or has anybody heard of Colson Whitehead at all?
2: Um, I've heard it. I feel like I've heard the name, but I don't know why. So no, not really. But it sounds D- good. Dave, you seem to be on the pulse when it comes to literature. Heard of this guy at all? <laughs> I've not.
1: No. Okay, I'm surprised actually because I said is, the Underground Railroad was um, pretty much considered. The book of last year. I'm, after, I'm, no, I'm not reviewing I'm, this here, but
2: yeah,
0: yeah, I heard it. I I have heard of that book, and I heard, Obama. Yeah, you know, I saw that Obama was caught with it, and so on. I didn't catch who the author was, or I did certainly so didn't retain that information within my mm-hmm. head. I, I think when I compare this to
1: other kind of um, either post-apocalyptic or zombie genre pick, uh, pieces I've read, this is quite a bit different because, uh, for instance, uh, there was. Book I reviewed the last time called um, the Twelve. Uh, sorry, the passage, which was a very conventional, albeit quite entertaining take on it. This seeks to do something a bit different, different, and it um, seeks to you know take what you know is a fairly pedestrian genre now, and sort of uh, take a slight twist on it. As I said, it, I, you might find it difficult to imagine that you know this subject matter could be. So, as I said, glacial, I feel, is really the word. But glacial in a in an entertaining manner. Um, I mean, that's really most of what I've got to say on it, but um, I found it intelligent, I found it witty, I found it well-observed, um, and it's an unpunishing 180 pages, I believe, which, for me, is beneficial. Yeah, I was entertained throughout. As I said, if I had a criticism, I would say that perhaps the narrative could have been a bit more forgiving in terms of um, divides between flashbacks and present-day uh, parts of the narrative, but overall I was very impressed.
2: This is going straight on the uh, to-read list. As soon as it's had 180 pages, that in particular. <laughs>
1: D- don't quote me exactly on that, but it's <laughs> something like that. I believe it's under 200 pages, I believe.
4: Excellent. It could be written in size 1 font, though. Well. Uh, oh,
3: yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point, Cable.
4: You never know
1: Um, There's a a good quote here by the way Which I think sums it up Um, I'm just on the Wikipedia page now Uh, One review described it as This is Colton Whitehead doing a zombie um, novel An intellectual dating a porn star
2: (laughs) Can we get him on the pod instead of you? (laughs) Uh, He he charges (laughs) That's the difference right. (laughs) Right, okay no, that does sound good, though. As you know, I'm a big fan of post-apocalyptic. And in fact, it fact, is, it is good. Is and it is a bit
1: different, mm. because as I said, you know, it's been and done. You know, the apocalypse has come, and it's washed <laughs> through town, and it's finished. Mm. And we're left with the people who... And, you know, there's no great breakdown in society, or not, not you know, a huge one. It's not like The Walking Dead, or um, The Road. Um, you mm. know, Mark Spitz, the main character, is working for the government at cleaning it up. Yeah. So it's, it's not... So it's not what you might expect of a post-apocalyptic or a zombie story
2: yeah it sounds good
4: we're going to write a post-apocalyptic children's book aren't we Clive we are yeah it's going to be amazing <laughs> right we'll say Fantastic. no more right
2: now yeah. don't spoil anyone Um we'll, cool
1: we'll go back to Sunny Scunny we'll okay uh no not Tim's Josh <laughs> Keefley what have you got for us
3: I've got a bit of a two for one review for you now Um <laughs> oh. I did did think that maybe Clive would possibly be reviewing one of these books. And I know for definite that you've read one of them, um, Alex. Okay. Um, It is Neverwhere and American Gods, both by Neil Gaiman. Oh,
1: yes. Uh, yes, (coughs) I've read Neverwhere. I've read American
3: Gods. So I know that Clive has read Neverwhere and I know that you've read um, American Gods. And Uh I know that me and Clive have got the same opinion of Neverwhere, which is that it's very good. (laughs) And I don't know really which of the books I'm mainly going to be reviewing. I think possibly American Gods, because I mean, obviously, like um, Goodreads has been mentioned already, and I found it really hard to give American Gods a rating on on, on that. In the end, I gave it three stars, but I, I'm still kind of a little bit conflicted because I think maybe I was a bit harsh, but then at the same time, I think maybe I was a bit generous. and I, and I, and I I think that it's because it's a really interesting concept and it's a really good idea but just as a book it's not that good like the main character is Shadow who all of the other characters kind of revere in a way but throughout the whole of the book I think why I think he's a really poorly developed character I think that he's quite boring and I, and I don't understand why all of the other people in the book think he's so great. And I think that the interesting concept of it is that basically a war is coming and it's the old gods versus the new gods. And the new gods are technology, the media, everything like this, whereas the old gods are like the you know, religious icons which people have worshipped throughout the centuries. And what I felt was, I mean, a lot of it is to do with sort of like um, Norse mythology and the North gods. Norse gods, gods, which, um, I mean, is the other Neil Gaiman book that I have. Um, I bought um, Neil Gaiman's adaptation of the Norse myths, which I haven't read yet, but I'm, which I'm looking forward to. Um, and just sort of like the, the concept of it, you know, and like, I think that religion is interesting, you know, like the concept of religion is interesting. And I don't know, just like the way that, like one of, one of my favorite books is the master and the Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. And I think that that is one of the best ways of explaining religion, because part of that book is about Jesus and why Jesus ended up getting worshiped in the way that he is. And, You know, basically that it was just a man who got made into this larger-than-life character to be worshipped. And I kind of think that American Gods was like that a little bit, but not really. And I think maybe that's why I didn't enjoy it very much, because I just didn't think it was as good as it could be. Whereas Neverwhere, I know that, you know, Neverwhere was made into a TV series. And I know that American Gods is being made into a TV series, which is kind of why I wanted to read it. Plus, I like Neverwhere, so that was another reason. Um, uh, But Neverwhere, the TV series, Neil Gaiman didn't like it. So the version of the book that I have is exactly how he wanted it to be. And I think that it's great, like really interesting, good concept, you know, like this secret world underneath London, where all of like the outcasts of society live and the, the different names uh, you know, like Blackfriars in London, and his sort of like alternative reason for why it's called Blackfriars, and um, you know, I thought that was great. So when I got American Gods, I was I was really looking forward to it, and you know, it went along and parts of it are really clever, parts of it were really good, but then in the end, I think overall, I was quite disappointed with it. But then, at the same time, I am looking forward to reading um, the Norse mythology book that I have by Neil Gaiman. So, you know, like I say, I know that Clive's opinion is the same as mine about Neverwhere. And I can't remember if you've reviewed American Gods or not before, Alex. But I just Um, was wondering, really, what you thought of it.
1: I haven't reviewed it on this this podcast. Um, Actually, I'm largely uh, in the same camp as you. Um, Like you, I thought it sounded... Unbelievable on paper. Um, I thought it was such a clever idea, um, and I'd heard a lot of good things about Neil. Is, is it Gaiman or Gaiman? I don't, I don't I... know.
3: I pronounce it Gaiman. I think it's I Gaiman. Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah. I'd, I'd read a lot of good things about him, and I, and I actually think he is a pretty good writer. Even though American Gods is the only book I've re- written uh, read by him, but I was underwhelmed as well. I felt um, at times the no- the novel was tripping over itself. You know, trying to shoehorn in this whole concept. And it, it felt like he came with a concept and then wrote the the narrative around it a bit too much.
3: Yeah.
1: It didn't work for me, and I would agree that Shadow is a pretty uninteresting protagonist. But th- there's a lot of interesting ideas in there, and it, I did think it was well written. I think, like you say, th- I think Three Stars is about the perfect kind of skull for it. Um, I think it's one of those books that will do a lot for you. If you're particularly interested in concepts like this, and I wonder if I'd like it a lot more on second read. I mean, I don't don't really have the time to do that, but I've just got a sneaky feeling I'd like it a lot more second time. I'm not sure though.
2: Mm. This is his most famous one, isn't it? I think.
3: Yeah, I think so. I felt very much. I felt. I felt it was a really famous book, and that's another one of the reasons why I wanted to read it. And like when I bought it, I was actually with Clive and Cable when I bought it. Yeah, I remember. and or maybe not Clive. But I was with Cable for definite, and um, the guy who was working, you know, at the till, he was saying, "Oh yeah, this is a great book. I really enjoyed it," you know, and everything like this, and like obviously, I mean, different people have got um, different opinions. Like you know, on Goodreads, and it says if your friends have read. The book or rated the book too, and two of my friends have. One of them's obviously Alex, and like his rating was similar to mine, but then the other person I know who's read it rated it five stars. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it is a good book and it's an interesting concept, but overall, I just was left feeling quite disappointed. Whereas with Neverwhere, which was the first Neil Gaiman book that I'd read, that was a really good book. Really, again a really good concept but I thought that the characters were better I mean some of the characters in American Gods are great but obviously Shadow is the main character and you're just like well this guy's boring I'm fed up of hearing about him um, which wasn't <laughs> the case with Neverwhere so so yeah I mean like I say I'm looking forward to reading more books by Neil Gaiman but you know American Gods I was disappointed with yeah well, there we
2: go but Neverwhere is excellent, yeah. I think yeah. I read it, Josh. I was just thinking then. I think it was when we were working at Earlex. Oh. <laughs> I think.
3: I was remember reading it was ages ago. Then.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think that's when I read it. It was ages ago. Back in the day. I didn't realise yeah. it was that long ago. Mm. Cool.
3: Any
1: thoughts from anyone else on uh, American Gods or any Neil Gaiman?
2: Well, yeah, on Neverwhere. I'm a big fan of Neverwhere and I really, really liked the um, concept of like the underground everyone living in these sort of abandoned underground tube stations and this underground network, I thought that was really, really cool. And I remember at the time, I actually looked into research quite a lot about abandoned tube stations and stuff (laughs) in London, and it was pretty interesting about all the ones that exist. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. So, yeah, I really enjoyed Neverwhere. And, like, um, it's been so long, like 10 years or so or whatever, but (laughs) maybe not quite. But, um, yeah, I do remember the characters being really, really really good. I couldn't really? really... I couldn't tell you about exactly what happens, but I remember really enjoying it and really liking the characters and things
1: Right, okay Uh, Right, we will go back to uh, the land of disenfranchised youth Uh,
4: (laughs) Dave
3: What have
4: you got for us? Are you live in an abandoned uh, tube station Dave? I am, I'm coming to you live (laughs) from uh,
0: (laughs) Oldwich Um (laughs) Right, so I've got two more books to talk to you about. um so the first two I spoke about were very definite they were books that I sought out. they were definitely decisions that I made to go and read, whereas the two that I've got now are uh two of the last ones from my um year of of um free books, which sadly came to an end back in January. So, uh, but they are, again, they are kind of linked by a common theme. The first book I'm going to talk to you about is um, The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. And this is, um, these two books are both, unlike my first two, these two are both fiction. Um, This is uh, a story of a 10-year-old, Daniel, who's taken to a, a labyrinthine underground vault, mysterious vault full of books. Uh, And it's something of a kind of archive, so just before books are forgotten about, a copy is brought to this uh, vault to be protected forever. Uh, And Daniel's father owns a bookshop and um, decides that at the age of 10, after Daniel's mother dies, that he's uh, of an age to go to this this vault. And people who are lucky enough to be chosen to be introduced to the vault are uh, asked to select a book and that book is one that they are the guardians of. Um, and the book that Daniel pulls out is called The Shadow of the Wind by an author called Julian Carax. And this sto- this this book tells the story of um, several people who become uh, suspiciously uh, interested in Daniel's find. So a book that had basically apparently disappeared that people didn't really know much about. Um, it turns out that the reason that this book uh nearly disappeared was because many of the extant copies were mysteriously destroyed or burnt and this novel is um a kind of a, a who done it uh tale but it's really fantastically well told it's it's um it's set in barcelona in uh, 1945 so just after the Spanish Civil War, because the Second World War didn't really um, take, you know, not much of it happened in in Spain. Um, so it's a kind of a a, a city oddly at peace with it, um, but in found in the kind of a uh, time when it hadn't yet kind of fully come to terms with what had gone on in the Civil War that had only concluded a few years prior. Um, Barcelona itself, which is where the book is set, is essentially a character in this book. the the author wonderfully describes the city and uh, its moods and um, its colours and the life within it, uh, how it impacts the other characters in the book. I I can't really go into too much detail, kind of uh, any more plot-wise, because it is um, uh, it is uh, like I say, it's it's a who done it. But there is also at the back of the book, back of the edition that I've got, there are. Maps and photographs from around Barcelona, where different parts of the book were set, so that you can go and have a tour of the different pivotal scenes from the book. I reckon I would put money on Clive really enjoying this book. It comes to relatively long Clive book. I would say um, <laughs> five hundred pages, but um, yeah. it does sound very interesting. Yeah, so it's it i I mean, it's not described as such, but I would say that this would be a kind of really excellent kind of kind of young adult type type novel. There's definitely there's loads in here for someone who's been reading for an awful long time, but I feel like if this was a book that I discovered when I was fourteen or fifteen, then it might be one of my favourite books ever. Um it's um a wonderful roller coaster, great characters. You really get drawn into the life of Daniel mm. as he grows up. Uh, starts off when he's 10 it ends when he's kind of in his 30s uh discovering the life of this uh this mysterious Julian Carax in his and and his book and the reasons why um these novels are disappearing. So connected to that we've got um another novel that was sent to me. And this one is Confessions by uh Cabré. Now um the the connection here is that this too is set in and around Barcelona and this too also um kind of is set in the period around the Civil War and after the Civil War in Spain. This book was translated from the Catalan uh, by Marafé Lethem and is, it, this, this one tells the story of uh, an Adria Ardevol who at the age of 60 discovers that he has dementia and this novel is his attempts to write, de- to write his memoirs after his big been diagnosed so that he knows that he's going to lose this information. But also at a point where he's already becoming ill. Um, this book is mammoth; um, it's seven hundred and fifty pages, and the stories it tells are equally mammoth. the um, The main character, this Professor Ardeval, uh, it starts off with him being very young, writing his memoirs as if to his to his love. the I can't give too much away, but the um, the, his relationships with his father and his mother and with his um, with his sweetheart uh, cause him to uh, undertake a lifelong study of. Um, good and evil. He becomes a, um, a professor at a university. I can't remember the name of the course that he studies, but it's essentially just um, the history of good and evil in uh, in society, and the, those kind of tales kind of um, uh, influence every part of his memoir as well. the um, The style is quite remarkable uh, to kind of give a sense of the kind of the the way that. Uh, Adria's mind is working um tensors and um the the person perspective of 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 each um chapter uh, paragraph and sometimes several times in a sentence will change so it will start with um I know that I made things up but he's still not telling the truth and I and he will both be the same person in that particular sentence um and it takes some getting used to. It's a book that you kind of have to, you definitely have to sit. And I would say you have to read the first kind of 50 in one go to really start to get into it because characters aren't really introduced. They're just assumed to be there and you grow to understand them um, as, as the book progresses. Um, as Adria's mind is kind of slipping away, the book gets a bit more difficult towards the end and There are lots of moments where you catch yourself thinking, did I read this already kind of two or three hundred pages ago? As Adria kind of reveals kind of things not in the most perfect order. Uh, Another remarkable feature of this book is that, um, and I can't really explain how it fits in, but um, the book moves effortlessly between different centuries. So the main uh, arc through the middle of the story is Adria Ardeval born in the 20s, kind of grew up in the 30s. Uh, Sorry, born in the 30s, grew up in the 40s, kind of gets dementia in the kind of late 90s, early noughties. But some of the stories within the book tell um, the tale of uh, stories based around uh, the time of the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, There are stories in here about um, insights into Jewish suffering during the Holocaust uh, and many of the time periods in between and kind of understanding what's going on with those and how they fit into the main arc is one of the most interesting parts of this book for a book that is so enormous I found myself absolutely voraciously consuming this the the writing is so well done the story is so fascinating Uh, I constantly wanted to know what was going to happen next and what happened to Adria so I read this kind of 750 page novel in about 10 days and that's like that's three or four times faster than i read most things i um that you know that wasn't to show off it was more to just say how much this book particular gripped me and fi- i found myself making opportunities to read it so um there are two books there that both uh both fiction both um riveting uh kind of twisty uh, topsy turvy stories but both both quite different both set in um barcelona in the kind of 1930s 40s uh, and the two that I recommend to you guys.
2: Cool. The um, okay. earlier one, Shadow of the Wind. Is that the? Is there a sequel to it? Or
0: yeah, I think there.
2: Okay, because if it, I think it, I think Beck's read it then because she's read. Yeah, she's read one, which has been a sequel to which she's not read the sequel, and I'm pretty sure it's Shadow of the Wind that she's read and she really liked it.
0: There's there's a bit at the end where. Uh, oh, I'd, oh, I'm not sure actually. He had the, he's certainly written other ones. Subsequently. Yeah, he might have
2: just have written another book. Which, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: there's another one called, according to the back of the book, it's called the Watcher. The Watcher in the Shadows that has a very similar oh, cover think, to it. Yeah, I don't know if it's related. I think that's or not. the
2: the next one. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, and then the other one was Confessions by Calme Cabre. I just realised. Ah, cool. Maybe not mention so, the names of them.
2: Anyway. Mm, so I think I may have that one in the fight, which means uh, <laughs> I may well start reading it soon. It sounds really good.
1: Right. Okay. Davey. Dave,
2: you said that it was about seven hundred pages. What what
0: size font was that? <laughs> Twelve. Uh, I'm just looking, and if I just hold my finger next to it, it's about uh, I'm going to say a quarter of the side of my finger tall. And what so... size pages? And what size? <laughs> <are> <laughs> your finger? What, oh, what good, size are your fingers as well? Good book-sized pages. <laughs> yeah. If you picture a book, like. I'd say it's pretty much that. Cool,
2: standard.
3: Is it double spaced?
0: (laughs) No, it's quite tight spaced. I think, yeah.
2: Okay, so it's a proper seven hundred and fifty pages. It's not Captain Blue Bear. It's not seven hundred pages, but lots of pictures.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't fuck about. (laughs) It takes no prisoners. (laughs) It just starts and then it just says, "You're you're, you know buckle up, guys, because you're in for the long haul," (laughs) and it just spits you out seven hundred and fifty pages later.
3: <laughs>
2: it sounds sounds impressive, though, that it gripped you for for seven hundred and fifty pages. That's good.
0: It's oh yeah, absolutely. It's non. It was really really non stop. The chapters are quite um, are relatively short, which I find helps. So I could kind of, I it made it easy to drop in and out. Um, yeah, that's always good actually. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's kind of split into five se- five mm. kind of uh, sections as well within that so- um,
2: something unsatisfying about finishing halfway through a chapter isn't there oh awful yeah. absolutely awful yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I,
0: agree. I yeah.
3: agree
2: I hate books with really really long chapters Sometimes, you just or just to, no chapters
0: just... sometimes you do have yeah. to and you're, kind of, you're hoping you get one of those paragraphs that for some reason has a space star yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah sometimes, sometimes they just sometimes never, sometimes I, never come
4: sometimes I end up like falling asleep halfway through a page like when I'm in bed not because it's boring, just because like I'm tired, mm-hmm. and that that's acceptable, I think.
2: It depends, though. When you wake up, do you know where you were? Well, I sort of like f-
4: half fall asleep and then closing it with the bookmark and then putting it down. Oh, okay. well, I think that
3: cable definitely wants us to be imagining him in bed. <laughs> well, I like, do that all the time. It's been so. it's been referenced quite a few times that cable reads in bed. What what are you wearing? I think, he, well, I, think he's, I think he's got an ulterior motive.
4: Well, it's because <laughs> I suppose like, I bought that reading lamp, but I've got nowhere to put it, so I have. To, that's the only place I've got a good enough lamp for reading.
2: I can't read in bed because I fall asleep like almost instantly. <laughs> so I have to read in a slightly uncomfortable position. Yeah, right.
4: It's weird. Maybe I should try that.
2: <laughs> Top tip for you there. Uh, cool. Those sound really interesting. I forgot where we were in the order. Al, you're in charge.
3: Uh, right. Well, well I'm going a- to have to go. By the way, for uh, what? like editing uh, reasons. Um, uh, Can you just stay for the start? start? Start of what? It's me, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know how he hates to uh, finish midway through like a chapter, so... Yeah, yes, yeah, players. Yeah. All
4: right, the, well... The,
0: din- the dinner bell is ringing. <laughs>
3: no, it's not. <laughs> I'm not having my dinner.
2: It's a mystery this time. the old I, and I'm
3: going out for my... No. I'm going out for my mysterious <laughs> reason. <laughs> <laughs> bye.
2: Yeah, bye, Josh. Cheers. Cheers. Right, Josh has gone. Um, we have Josh. said bye to him, but he'd already turned his mic off, so... <laughs> yeah. We're not rude, he, but we're just...
1: Yeah, he's, just, he's got some important plans with a pot noodle and some lubricant. Uh,
2: <laughs>
4: Jesus.
2: Has he got a massive penis that fits like a pot noodle sort of thing? Oh, God. Um, oh, no, I see what moving, he He's mo- eating it. Moving on, he? from, right.
1: moving on from one erotic image to another. Uh, James Cable in bed, in his
4: nightie, reading. Nightie? He's not in his What nightie? have you got? He's in his pants. Oh, God. Well, I kind of wanted Josh to be here for this because it was his recommendation again. In fact, I was in a uh, charity bookshop with him and he picked it out for me. It was just after I'd finished reading... um, The Graduate. The Graduate. And yeah, I was thinking of what to read next and I was in the bookshop with him and he picked it out for me. And I don't think I'm going to be saying anything controversial with what I say about it. And you've probably all read it. I know you've read it, Clive, and Josh has obviously read it. Um, But it's The Great Gatsby by F. uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. On the surface, it's a story of thwarted love about a man and a woman. Um, But there's so much more than that. It's a... Symbolic representation of 1920s America, a time where the combination of the post-World War One disillusion and cynicism, and skyrocketing national wealth in America led to an era of declining social and moral values, and a rise of greed, materialism, and empty pleasure. Uh, it was a time where anyone could make it big, but this led to a clash of old money and new money. Um, these social trends are represented by the characters in this book, and by sort of the geography and the the places and it was also a time where alcohol had been banned. It was the Prohibition era, and which created a buzzing underworld for the sale of bootleg liquor. Um, the decadent wild parties that Gatsby throws in the book um, to try and attract Daisy become a vessel for showcasing the types of characters and these alcohol-fueled parties of the, uh, the bootlegging. And Fitzgerald essentially, he's writing about how all of what's going on at this time was corrupting the American dream which is all about individualism, discovery and finding happiness. And the main plot in the story reflects all of this. Gatsby, he's uh, new money, he's from a working class background. Um, as hard as he tries, he doesn't really fit in. In his pursuit of Daisy, his uh, love interest from from a few years ago, um, hampered by their different backgrounds. Um, so he's resorted to doing things um, the things he does to get where he is, to try and impress her. He's a big dreamer, but his hopes and dreams while being so close that never quite in reach. I won't go on and on about it, but um, I could talk about the symbolism in the book, the motifs. But I just wanted to quickly sort of describe why I really enjoyed it. Um, I think the thing I loved most about it was the way he writes in this book. The analogy I've got for it is that I've sort of, I know, well, yeah, I've dabbled in songwriting and something which Clive does. And so I've been through that sort of process and I liken it to... When I hear a song, and I'm sort of awestruck by it, I just think to myself, I have literally no idea how you could come up with writing those notes and putting those sounds in that order. It's so poetic, some of the passages that he he writes are just they're just sublime and they left me sort of awestruck. So I sort of had to stop and reread them a few times just to sort of take them in and it, it sort of gives me the shiver down my spine that I get from um some music which I love um I got that when I was reading certain bits of this book um I find the sort of narration by uh, Nick, um, in the book, as he's like an overly overly dramatic, unreliable narrator, um, sort of wearing tinted glasses. Um, he's um, I find that fascinating, trying to figure out what exactly is real and what's embellished by his sort of opinions and the way he's reading it, into it. And I think that fits the theme of the book as well, and it just works really well. Um, I finished reading the book, again, with the bed references. I finished reading it in bed <laughs> it, one morning. <laughs> Um, and for the whole day I was sort of affected by it I think sort of just that, the ideas of it the, the misplaced unachievable hopes and dreams and not fitting in and sort of striving for something when you can never really get it uh, I think some subconsciously just made me feel a bit more sensitive for like a whole day and it just sort of just really got to me and uh, yeah so I just I love that book and I think obviously it's a classic and I think a lot of people have read it and yeah um, I enjoyed the recent film but this, the book was just so much better and um, being able to read the, the just the way it's written and everything, it's just yeah, it's great, spot yeah. on. Alex Wayne, have you read this?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a classic bit of American literature. Uh, I did it at uni. Um, I was, yeah, it's it's as good as it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, it's just a classic piece of um, literature on basically I, I would describe it on the American dream, really, hmm. certainly on uh, industrialization and um. There's a great bit of analysis of this book, actually, in uh, of the, the Great Gatsby, in The Wire. Uh, yep. I don't know if anyone's seen it, by um, D'Angelo Barksdale. Mm. And I think I think it is, for me, the ultimate classic in in American literature. I don't think anything anything better has been written by an American author. <sighs> um,
4: I, c- I couldn't quite believe... Well, I, I'm surprised worried. I hadn't read it before, to be honest, because it's such a classic, but, yeah, I'm so glad I did. Um... um
1: I did actually enjoy. I really enjoyed the uh, the film, the recent film adaptation. I thought it was. Some people found it over stylized, but I I thought it was an interesting interpretation. But um, I think, I think, I think Daisy is one of the all time great sort of literary characters.
4: Mm. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've read it, but. Um, it's not very it's long a, it's a um, classic yeah it's a classic and I, in fact when I, I've got the Penguin classic version and the introduction bit is like almost a third of the whole book itself you know the, in terms of pages um, but I read the introduction and I found it really interesting because obviously I knew the plot so I was, I was glad that I'd read that before I actually read it because I sort of it talks about um, some of the sort of things in the book and it sort of helped me sort of understand it a bit better um, so yeah but just to put, it in, to put it into context, I've I've read, I think, I'm on my fourth book of the year, and one of them was Great Gatsby, which is very short. and um, The other one was um, The Graduate, which is quite short, and the other one is a poetry book, so that took me like an hour to read. So, so I'm quite a slow reader, or I don't have enough time to reading, but I'm getting back into it. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Sweet as that. What were you going to ask, Al? Um, well, I was
1: going to ask for a start, uh, Dave... Uh, Being, as we said, a man on the pulse of literature,
0: have you read your
1: (laughs) your American classic? Um,
0: (laughs) I was just thinking about this. I've not read it, no. I have... I tried once to read it, and I read kind of the first ten pages, and then I never finished it, and I can't remember why that was. So maybe it is something that... um, it's definitely something I want to read at some point. I'm still, I'm just sat here thinking about your best ever novel by an American. Claim. Oh, that's remarkable. I mean,
1: claim. yeah, I'm not sure I'd definitely stand by my own opinion there, but um, okay. off, off the top of my head, I can't think of much better. I mean, there are books I prefer
0: written by American authors, but I don't think any book is oh, well, an easy get out, input. isn't it? <laughs> And this is the best American book. I mean, I'm not saying it's the most entertaining, or the one I'd most <laughs> want to read, or the one that is my favourite. Do you mean? But do you mean about American culture and
4: like I, the I, American I, dream it, and everything? I, yeah, you... I mean,
1: in, yeah. In in terms of personifying, not personifying. That's not the right word. Um, in terms of encapsulating the American dream and its cultural importance, yeah. I would say there, Yeah, mm. I stand by the claim. Um, just to, I know, I mentioned the. Uh, literary criticism by D'Angelo Barksdale on the wire. I've got it up here because I did think it was very good. Um, When asked about uh, what Fitzgerald meant by there being no second acts in American lives, D'Angelo Barksdale says, he's saying that the past is always with us. Where we come from, what we go through, how we go through it, all that shit matters. Like at the end of the book, boats and tides and all, it's like you can't change up. You can say you're something new. You can give yourself a whole new story but what you came... But what came first is who you really are, and what happened before is what really happened. Yeah. And I think that that that's a great summary in sort of layman's terms of an amazing book, obviously.
4: Yeah, and there's this, there's that line in in the book uh, where Nick says to Gatsby, "You can't repeat the past," and Gatsby replies, "Why, well, of course you can," um, which is sort of yeah. I don't know.
2: Mm.
4: Okay. Cool. Cool.
1: Uh, mm. sticking stick in Sheffield um, his second book he's back with uh, some sub 2008 hair uh, <laughs> you'll get that if you see a picture of him Clive. and you, you, and you knew him before
3: 2008
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got so I've started on a uh, children's book this is most definitely not a children's book uh, the next one I've got is Waiting for the Barbarians by J.M. Curtsey. why haven't you written it in red pen then Clive? Um, Well because I've only got pink pens (laughs) Because at home Basically all I've got is pink and green pens Because don't tell my school I usually take them home And use them myself Because it saves me money on buying pens Um, (laughs) But anyway So yeah I've written a pink pen James Curtsy. This is a post-apocalyptic fiction um, book It's Basically it's uh, narrated by Our unnamed protagonist He's a magistrate in a small colonial town again i don't think the town is ever named um which is kind of on the uh, front line of the empire as it's called which is like almost a bit like the star wars empire sort of a big imperial force in this post-apocalyptic world his you know at the start of the book his existence is pretty peaceful and it's not really spoil it's pretty early on Um this peacefulness kind of comes to an end when the empire calls a state of emergency because they think the barbarians are going to attack the town. Um, I don't it's never really made clear but I'm pretty sure that they don't think that the barbarians are going to attack the town. They just would rather quite like to wipe them out and need a good reason to do it which um, (laughs) fits in quite well with uh, some of the stuff going on today. Essentially it's about how he becomes kind of more and more disillusioned with the Empire who he's working for obviously he's a magistrate so he's working for that um for the empire full of his um it's I don't know how you'd put it sort of he's the like I say he's the narrator and there's a lot of his opinion and stuff that goes into it and there's a lot of a lot of the book is just him thinking and uh, I think this is quite common for a lot of uh, curtsy books i think they're quite philosophical and there's a lot of it's just full of like mental contradictions of his struggle to uh, from day to day to take orders that he doesn't really believe in but also uh, being a bit too wussy to and um, stand up to them and his you know not really liking himself for that and the sort of constant like i said mental contradiction going on in his head it's i think it's an excellent book it's really uh, it's made excellent by the really sort of believable main character Um he's not a stereotypical goody at all even though you know i've built it up as he's kind of getting disillusioned with the empire you could think oh you know he's a standard bloke who doesn't uh, <laughs> wants to go against the system or whatever but um, that's totally not the case he's really uh, he has really dark characteristics to his character there's so, so, some of the things he does that are definitely not good and he does some pretty at times almost horrendous things really I won't go too much into DLTL because I don't really want to spoil what the book's about but even though I don't know if it is one that you could spoil but who knows it's it just, I thought the, the constant sort of thing that he's going through in his head made it really fascinating, and it's really well written. It reminded me quite a lot of um, Cormac McCarthy in, in its kind of bleakness, and I think for that reason, Al, I think you'll really like it.
1: Okay, All right, It's a strong recommendation.
2: Yes, I thought it was, I definitely, it's the kind of book I read where I thought I want to read more from this guy because I like the way he's, it's very bleak and like unmelodramatic and just kind of, not matter of fact, because obviously there's a lot of this guy's opinion in it, but um, just doesn't really skirt over things. <laughs> Hard to describe, but it's, yeah, a very believable kind of mental breakdown of this guy, basically, is what the book is, and I thought it was really, really, really good. So I would highly recommend it. Okay, I gave it four stars, I believe, on Goodreads, so, you know. Comes recommended. Does anyone else his most famous book? Is, um called Disgrace, which I believe he won a Nobel Prize for.
1: Wow.
2: Um, wow. he's he's definitely a Nobel laureate he's won a Nobel Prize for, for one of them <laughs> it wasn't this one, I know that but I think it was one called Disgrace he's South African as well, I don't know if I mentioned that so a lot of his books um, have sort of apartheid themes this one doesn't in particular, I think he tried to in interviews I've read with him he tried to make it something that was universal which is why he set it in this post-apocalyptic kind of thing and it wasn't obviously the apartheid situation it was you know, a situation lots of people can res- relate to. A indigenous, the barbarians are essentially the indigenous people there being taken over by an imperial force <laughs> uh, who want to come in and quote civilise them. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's a really, really good sort of uh, exploration of that theme, and someone being stuck in the middle of it. So yeah, it's kind of universal. I think a lot of people will enjoy it.
1: Excellent. Uh, no, I can't say I've heard of this author or read in.
0: Obviously, <gasps> read. In. You've not heard of J.M. curtsy mm-hmm. To be fair, I hadn't was, until he, I got recommended it. The first ever author to win the Booker twice, Nobel Prize for Literature of two thousand and three. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, he's um, yeah. Uh, it's it, I'm the, the life, shame, life
2: but... and
0: times of Michael Kay is another one of his like.
2: That's the next one I've got. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that <laughs> Which gets compared to his, the rose a lot with his Booker Prize winners. Yeah, and then you don't win a book for Nobel for you. Know, you just get the Nobel Prize for being really bloody good. You don't win it for a particular thing. I don't think.
2: Oh right. Okay. Ah, okay. I didn't realize that Like, Bob so it's more like contributions being, to, yeah, just yeah.
0: being a great American songwriter, not actual for an album. Or anything. Anyway,
2: <laughs> yeah, with yeah, it.
0: but still, yeah, he's um, I, am I, I'm, I'm saying all this. I've never actually read him, <laughs>
2: <laughs> We have heard of him. But so I, I really have,
0: and he's so, he's very high on upon my list. Um, yeah, like, yeah, so many other authors. Like, uh, God, there are so many books. If people could just stop writing books for a bit... <laughs> it's would, quite... Would, yeah, the, it's, the
2: thing is, they take so long to consume and there's so many of them, it is one of the ones where you just never really can get on top of everything.
0: Well, I used to, I used to think that, and then I realised how many, how many, you know, weeks I'd spent watching things like The Sopranos <laughs> and Wire and everything. Oh, I could have read several books in that period. No, but um, <laughs> books aren't necessarily superior to their art, but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. It, I find mm-hmm. that it takes more of a mindset... To commit myself to than other things,
2: perhaps. Yeah. Um, I've just realised this book is written in 1980. I thought it was much more recent than that, actually. But yeah. Yeah.
0: So it has a, had a timeless quality there. That you didn't realise it was 40 years old.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's won a ton of prizes, and also American composer Philip Glass has written a opera of the same name based on the book, apparently. So.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, to finish off, I will have my second book. Um, and I'm going to be talking about The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. Before I go into it, as, um, I believe a few people here have read Cloud Atlas. Um, I have, book. yes. Um, I picked this book largely on the basis that I loved Cloud Atlas, and I really liked the film, actually, which was divided a lot of people. The Bone Clocks is a fantasy novel divided into sort of five first-person uh, narratives. Loosely connected by uh, the main character called Holly Sykes, a semi-sort of like, psychic uh, woman, uh, but the main narrative focuses on a war between two kind of um, spiritual groups. One called the Anchorites, who um, are the bad guys essentially, who are immortal from uh, murdering and stealing the souls of other uh, sort of semi-psychic individuals, and there are horologists. Who are naturally talented and reincarnate naturally at the end of death. If it sounds batshit, it's because it is. Um, it <laughs> won the 2015 World Fantasy Award and it was long listed for the Man Booker Prize in 2014. Um, it's a sort of rip roaring sort of fantasy novel of um, great tradition, I would say. It's um, certainly in a very similar style to um, Cloud Atlas in the sense that. You give a perspective of different characters, but usually linked in with something else. Uh, it starts in nineteen eighty four with the first narrative and it ends uh, in the future in twenty forty three, um, going from uh, Gravesend in Kent to Cambridge uh, to South Africa to uh, I believe South Africa uh, to Ireland to America. Can you, um,
0: can you really say South Africa without doing the accent?
1: Uh, no, I can't. And actually, I think I may—I think I've, I think I may have made that up. I'm not sure if it was South. No, sorry, it was Switzerland. I, you know, <laughs> mistake, uh, um, anyway, um, t- to talk too much in detail about the characters here is to give it away, really, because the book is kind of built on the surprising connections that these people make on each other's lives, and then connected in with this absolutely insane um, sort of war between immortal factions. The book owes a great deal of debt to um, a wide variety of sources but the one that stood out for me was uh, The Invisibles which is a comic book series from the late 80s written by Grant Morrison. Um very underrated series um, which I can't believe hasn't been adapted yet. It kind of wears all its influences on its sleeve um, and I've read I've read interviews by David Mitchell where he freely admits that as well. Um, but th- this is a really, really, really easy read. Um, but at the same time, it's 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 really nourishing uh, intellectually. Uh, it's it's entertaining for, on the one hand, and it's and it's certainly interested in a sort of a type of narrative that you don't see very often. Uh, I love the switch between different uh, time zones and different perspectives. Uh, I love anything like that. It's Some would call it a novelty, but I find it just piques my interest completely. Because sometimes, if I'm... If, say, for instance, take American Gods that was talked about earlier, if you've got an uninteresting uh, protagonist, even if the rest of the book is interesting, you can quickly get uh, tired. Uh, I wouldn't rate this as highly as The Bone Clocks... Uh, sorry, as um, Cloud Atlas, which is one of my favourite modern novels. But... Um, I was highly entertained by this, and it would not surprise me if we see a film adaptation in the near future.
2: Yeah, this does sound interesting, and I was a fan of <coughs> *Cloud Atlas* the book. I wasn't such a fan of the film because I couldn't get past the fact that I don't know why they picked Tom Hanks to play every single. Yeah, every single I era. Mean, but uh...
1: <laughs> I didn't mind that, but um, but yeah, the book was better. Um, as I said, this is written in a similar style in the sense that there are, you know, you get. Parts with one person and parts with another, you know, mm. seemingly separate narratives, but obviously inherently connected. Has anyone else read Cloud Atlas or, I suppose, read The Bone Clocks? No. No. <laughs> I'm, 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 taking, no. I'm taking away your title, um, Dave, you're no longer on the pulse.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm not sure where you got that rumour from. I think it's just because you won a competition. (laughs) Uh, You know, the competition was to be the two thousandth follower on Twitter. It wasn't. There was no. There is no level of intelligence testers there. I'm afraid. Bigger, bigger, literary knowledge.
1: um, Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I don't have a great deal more to say on that, but um, it's. I said it's a fascinating, fascinating narrative, and um, it's it's a real crowd pleaser. It's it's a thriller to. To say the least, and I I would say that um, I would say that if you're looking for a kind of intelligent, almost summer read, then this is a great, great contender. Um, Certainly, if you're reading something a bit heavy and you want to almost cleanse your palate, uh, this would be a great selection. I would say it's like a sorbet. Yeah, but um, a bit bit, bit, uh, more substantial than a sorbet. Maybe um,
0: gazpacho. Yeah
1: yeah yeah go for that we'll go for that yeah why not
2: <laughs> cool <clears throat> sounds good we've had some uh, splendid books today some uh yeah, wide a... range
0: yeah we shouldn't save them up we'll get yeah we shouldn't we we'll end, end up with room. one
2: hour 40 minute episodes <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
2: cool spot on is that everyone done I think we're all uh, I believe it is I believe it is how um, have you checked the time
1: um well hang on a minute hang on a minute hang on a minute um so you quit the stalling hands and then the little hand. I
2: believe it's plugged down, <laughs> baby. Plugged time. Spot on. Um, <laughs> stick around. Cast on Twitter. Stick around podcast slash stick around podcast on Facebook. Stick around on the interwebs. So stick around on your podcast app and you can subscribe. Give us reviews on iTunes, Instagram slash stick around podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> slash stick around on Patreon. Uh, if you want to th- throw throw some money or uh, toss some money our way, to whoever you want. Toss more than money. Wee. <laughs> Cable says you can toss more than money. Um, that offer <laughs> is no, isn't open for me, but for Cable, who spends a lot of time in his bed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> in his it nighty. nighty.
2: In his nighty.
0: In some else's nightie. Whoa.
2: Maybe, well, on a, maybe on a weekend. The plot unfolds. Uh, I feel like I've missed something. <laughs> Oh, um, I think you got it Clive I think I've nailed yeah. it haven't I oh um, email us podcast at com if you want to uh, answer ask any question anything even yeah anything nothing is uh, nothing you want nothing is sacred yeah. <laughs> yeah I might not answer it but you can ask it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah so th- thanks for listening thanks send, for coming send everybody send us pages from your favourite books ripped out with your know, love written all over them in blood in- <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we'll be back next time
1: with TV, I believe.
2: Um, yes, if all thing goes to plan, I think it is TV next. Um, I've watched a TV show with our good friend James Cable. Wow. We in fact, we so, have, we in fact binge watched seven episodes in a row, didn't we? We did, which is probably which the is, first time I've done that. In my, I was, life. I was
4: actually surprised that Claire was still paying attention by the end. <laughs> <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I found it quite difficult. I fell
2: asleep at one point. That's because I'd had loads of coffee. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And cocoa Wow living it up uh, so yeah that'll be the next episode and then we'll be back round to films I suspect I can't wait Ooh. till the next games episode Oh, Ooh.
1: exciting you can't wait to switch your attention to
2: games <laughs> 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 yes absolutely right so thanks for listening everyone thanks for coming Dave thank you for having me thanks for coming Al yo thank you very much nicked your hosting job for the end yeah and yeah, thank- you for it Thanks for coming, Cable. Yeah. Good uh, good debut. Yeah, I've lost yeah. I've lost my virginity. No longer a new reviewing. Thanks for coming, me. It's alright. Thanks, thanks, for, G- thanks, for, th- <laughs> thanks Josh. Thanks
0: yeah, thanks, Josh. Oh, Josh. Thanks, thanks yeah. Josh. Thanks, Josh.
2: Thanks for nothing. Went for a zillion bath. <laughs> Forty five minutes of a podcast is not <laughs> <laughs> worth a fact. <thanks.
1: laughs> right. See you next time. Bye guys. everyone.
2: Stick Bye.
0: around. Stick around. around. <laughs> Stick around. Oh,
2: thank you all for listening rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe
3: it's stick around